Uh, we're in the second week of a series. Last week we started a series called uh, Enemies of the Heart. Um, talked about this thing that, that so often the problem in our life, and I shared some, if you didn't hear the stories last week, I shared some of the dumb things I did when I was younger, how I learned some things about behavioral modification. And uh, so often we talk to our kids about learning to behave and, and, and that's a big deal, but we'd rather teach them about what's even more important and what the Bible says. Uh, in Matthew 15, uh, Jesus says this. He says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. The things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And you're going, no, 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 no. No, that's, th- those are just words. That's not out of the heart. But Jesus says, no, that's not true. He said the heart is, the, is really the seat of our emotions, the seat of our motivations. And then he says, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. All these things come out of our heart. Matter of fact, when Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he talked about that. He said, you know, it's not enough. We've heard it said, he says, you've heard it said, do not murder. He said, if you, if you hate someone, you want to read that? He says, it's not just about the act. He said, that's also about the motivation. He said, you know, he said, uh, you've heard it say, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you lust after a woman, I don't know what about the women. I don't, the guys only get blasted in that verse. But the reality is, is that, you know, he's saying it's about the motivations in our heart that matter. And we have to learn to do something. And what, and what uh, Solomon, who was considered the wisest man of all time, says about this in Proverbs 4.23, is he says, above all else, above everything else, what we need to do is learn to guard our heart. He said, for everything you do flows out of it. Everything we do flows from the heart. You love from your heart. You, you parent from your heart. You, you build relationships from your heart. You, you use your money from your heart. You do all these things. He says, above all else, guard your heart. We talked about last week, just briefly, we've talked about it's not enough to monitor our, our behavior. What we have to do is we, because we live from our heart, not just from our behavior. So you can have right behaviors. And if your heart's not right, things aren't right. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Now, for the next four weeks, what I want to do, starting today, is I want to talk about four specific issues that deal, that we, that get buried, some things that happen in our hearts. And if we don't deal with these issues, they will get lodged there. These things will get lodged there in our hearts. And if not acted upon, will affect everything in our life. These four issues, let me just tell you what they are. The four issues are guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. Guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy is what we're going to be talking about. And each of these, and it's going to be interesting, we'll see this throughout this series, each of these creates something that's dynamic in our life. It, they create a debt-debtor relationship between the person that we have an issue with and, and, and in our heart. We have this debt-debtor relationship. And it causes this imbalance in our relationships. And today I want to talk about the first of these four. Let's talk about guilt this morning, okay? Our favorite topic, guilt. You know, the interesting thing about guilt is uh, some of you, for some of you, you equate guilt and church. Some of you may have grown up in a church environment where guilt was the, the, the primary motivating factor in your religion. And I want to apologize this morning because I want to tell you that guilt is really nothing. If you look at the, the Bible, if you look at, if you look about in the New Testament, you will discover that Jesus never leveraged guilt. Not once. And for some of you that if you grew up that way, some of you will think that, that, that guilt is, is connected with, with Christianity, but it's not. And, and if there was anybody, if there was anybody who could have done it, could have leveraged guilt and used guilt and done it well, it would have been Jesus because he knows, what does the Bible say? Jesus is God and he knows our heart. 
And so he could have looked at us and go, guilty, 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 guilty. And I don't know why. Jesus could have done that. But he chose never to do that. He chose never to do that because, because let me tell you why. Why he never chose that. It is generally, and listen to this carefully, this is going to be your lunch conversation today. Okay, I'll tell you. I already know. For lunch today, you can talk about this, this statement I'm going to make just right now. Generally, it is guilty people that leverage guilt to get people to do things they want them to do. Really? Yeah, Jesus was not guilty, so he never leveraged guilt. He didn't have anything in his life. And, and, as, and if your take on religion, it's about guilt, because God wants to guilt you into doing something, then I apologize for that, because Christianity has absolutely nothing to do with guilt. But, I say that at the same time, guilt is an issue we need to deal with. Because it can become a hard issue. It can become a hard issue that causes everything in our life, uh, it will impact everything in our life negatively if we, don't, if we allow it to. Matter of fact, the Bible says this is Jesus didn't guilt, deal with guilt, and God doesn't want to guilt us into anything, but it says this in Romans 2.4. It says God's kindness, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. That's about as far away from guilt as you can possibly think about See, God is not going to try to guilt you into following him. He wants you to do it because out of his kindness, his love, his compassion for you. See, guilt is a result. This is, let me give you a brief definition of guilt. Guilt is the result of having done something we perceive, we, we perceive as wrong. And God wants to lead us to change, not through guilting us, because that doesn't last anyway. He wants to lead us to change through his kindness. Guilt is a, is a disease. Guilt is a problem that needs to be remedied. And let me just, I'm just going to give you some really straightforward examples this day. Uh, for instance, consider the man who runs off with another woman and abandons his family. And it could happen with women too, okay? But for this, this sake of this illustration, let's say a man does that. Without realizing it, at the time that he does that, what has he done? He has stolen something from every member of his family. What has he stolen? Well, he has stolen the future of the family. He's probably stolen financial security. He's probably stolen reputation of the wife. He's probably, from the children's perspective, this man has stolen their father and all that the father means to the home. He has robbed them of Christmas, traditions, emotional and financial security, dinners with the family. I can just name all the things that has been stolen because of this, of this thing of choosing to do this. Now, the man, when he does this, does not think and didn't think in terms of what he has taken. Initially, you know what he thinks? He thinks about what he has gained. New relationships, whatever. But the first time his little girl asks him why he doesn't love mommy anymore, his heart is stirred. And now he feels guilty and, and, and he feels like he feels something for the first time. He feels like that he owes them something. He owes the little girl something. And, and so this debt debtor relationship has been established. And seeing whenever you and I do wrong, we wrong another, we create the same dynamic. We've even adopted terminology for resolving our guilt. We say this. What do we say when we feel like we owe somebody something? We say, I owe you an apology. We say that, right? Because we have this debt-debtor relationship going on, this dynamic that's going on in the thing. Why do we owe people an apology? Because our hearts 
tell us we took something that we're now debtors in some fashion. And consequently, what we need to do is we need to do something to pay up, to make it right. Even if our only way of making it right is the words, I'm sorry. And and I want to even go further with this illustration to say this. Many people in this situation, men and women... Let's use the illustration of the man again. Most men in this situation, when they begin to feel guilty about what has happened in that kind of situation, they will try to make it up to them, make it up to the wife, make it up to the kids particularly. And what they'll do, they'll try to make up for what's absent. And they may, might, might try to make up for what was taken away. And they're motivated out of this debt-debtor relationship. And the dad compounds the problem by making a series of debt-motivated decisions that cause increasing problems. I've seen this a thousand times. The attempts to buy love results in excessive materialism and a corrupted view of self-worth in a child. In an effort to buy some peace, many parents fail to set appropriate boundaries with the kids in this kind of relationship. And it results in destructive behavior that wouldn't be tolerated if there wasn't this dynamic going on. The IOU has come at the expense of the child, not the person carrying the debt. And so we see this debt-debtor relationship carried out throughout all kinds of things going on. And guilt is the motivating factor in this. That happens. And so that's, that's what happens. Nothing less than paying off that debt will relieve a guilty heart of its burden of guilt. Now, that's what guilt is. But let me explain how guilt is experienced. Guilt is experienced in a different way. Guilt is experienced like... <sighs> Notice one of these. I got a bunch of Bibles in here, by the way. Okay, that's what... You know, I got the biggest books I had in my office and threw them in here. These big, gigantic Bibles. You know, pulpit edition. Uh... <sighs> Guilt is experienced, you know, in that way, but guilt is experienced as a burden. Guilt is experienced as something you carry around with you. It's, it's like a weight or a burden. That's why when, when we have wronged someone and we finally get, get confronted by it or we deal with it and we go to the person once you've confessed this and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, we feel like what, we feel like a weight has been lifted off of us. You ever heard that term? I just feel like a weight is lifted off of me because I finally got it out. That's what it is. We experience this guilt as this, this incredible burden. Now, the problem with unresolved guilt, and I want to talk about the first part of the message today is, is to state the issue. The second half is to talk about the biblical solution. Okay? How do you deal with this? Because I told you each week we're going to talk about things that can get embedded in our heart that will affect us. And then we're going to talk about biblical solutions about how to deal with it. The problem is this. If we have unresolved guilt, say back in college, go all the way back to then for some of us. And there's something in our life that we feel guilty about that happened back then and we never dealt with it. Guess what? We still carry it around. We still carry it around with us. And then we have guilt of other types and we just keep adding to us and our burden becomes heavier and heavier and heavier. And it affects every relationship that we have. Because as long as you have unresolved guilt and unresolved weight, you don't simply, it doesn't simply affect the relationship that is directly related to. It affects every relationship because it affects you in so, so many ways. And it begins to eat at us and gnaw at us and, 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 our, and it, it affects our heart. It impacts the way you relate to people in every relationship. But the problem is many times we don't see it. Because it's become such a part of who we are. We carry this weight around for so long. It's become a part of who we are. And we don't realize it's even there. 
And we say things like, well, this is just the way I am. That's just the way I am. You know, we've said that before. This is the way I am. We give this excuse to not deal with the unresolved guilt in our life so many times. And I want to tell you, it's not the way you are. That's not the way God intended for us to be. He doesn't intend us to go around life carrying this, this burden of guilt around all the time with us. God wants us to resolve those issues in our life. He wants us to get past. He doesn't want us, our heart to be filled with guilt because guilt will affect everything we do and every relationship we have. Because the reality is this. Underneath your guilt, underneath your guilt, if you unpacked it and if you know what you would, you know what you would find there underneath your guilt? You will find anger. Anger. And do you know who you're angry at? Anybody have a guess? This is interactive this morning. You can talk. Yourself. Yes, you know that. You're, you're, you're angry at yourself because, because you're guilty. You're, you're angry with yourself if, if you've not had this, really, if you have this guilt in your life. You say, you say things to yourself like this. And you don't say it out loud, but you say it to yourself, I'll let me down. I swore I would never, and I did. I, I swore I would always, and I didn't. I went into that job with these ethics, and the first time I had an opportunity to take a big step, I bypassed my ethics, and I took the big step. I told her I always would, and I didn't. I promised my kids, and I haven't. See, guilt, what it does, it causes us to be angry at ourselves. And it gnaws at our heart, and it affects who we are, and it affects every relationship that we have. So when you peel back your guilt and you discover that you're angry at you, you uh, you're angry because you didn't meet your expectations, that, you, that you're not the man you thought you would be, the woman you thought you would be, the mother, the father, the husband, the wife that you thought you would be. Uh, you thought, you think I've let my parents down. So many of us are motivated by that. And it's a, it's a disease that, that just destroys who we are. And it affects every relationship that we have if it's unresolved. See, something else is, is true, and it, it comes out so often as well. It affects relationships. And, and I've seen this a thousand times as well in counseling. It's almost impossible, listen to this, it's almost impossible to please a man or a woman who is carrying around a load of guilt. You know why? You know why? Because... Since they will say, since I didn't live up to my expectations, I'm not going to allow you to live up to yours either. And since I disappointed me, I'm going to find a way for you to disappoint me too. Because it makes me feel better about me. And see, if you're carrying around a load of guilt, there's hardly any way you will see this. But I promise you that people around you will see this and they'll wonder what's going on. What's a little off about that person? They probably don't say it to you that way. But they will say it. So I would challenge you this morning to do something, to relook at yourself, your disappointment with you and your disappointment with me. It creates an anger and a burden that impacts every one of our relationships. And our pushback is this. I told you it will be a pushback to all these. The pushback is this. We say to ourselves, well, I just have to carry this burden. That's, that's my burden. I have to carry it around, right? It's, it's just the way I am. I can't change the past. I can't change what I did. But if guilt is a heart issue, the Bible says that we can deal with it. And I want to talk about what the Bible says that we can do about the guilt that's out there. Because guilt is a heart issue. And guilt eats at our heart, it grows in the darkness, but it dissipates in the light. So there's only two options that we have to dealing with guilt. Only two options. 
Number one, since it's a debt you owe, how can you do it? You first, you can, one, one way you can deal with guilt is repay the debt. You can repay the debt if it's possible. But that may not be possible in some instances, right? Because some things, how do you, how do you repay a, a, a first marriage that's gone, long gone? How do, you, how do you repay a fact that you weren't there from the time your kids were 12 to 18? How do you do that? How do you, how do you return things that happened years ago? How do you think things that are intangible? So in many instances, the problem with dealing with guilt and repaying, repaying our guilt is that we can't do it directly. And the other option is this. If you can't repay the debt, you can ask the person that you stole from or offended to cancel the debt. That's the other option. That's the other option. And both of these require something that a lot of us are not very good at. And has often been misunderstood, even, not even, in, especially in Christian circles. And the things that we're not, the thing that we're not very good at, and the thing that we don't understand clearly is the idea of confession. Confession. The habit of the heart that will help us to deal with our guilt is the, is the whole idea and the concept of confession. Confession will break the power of guilt. It's like a big light that shines on in, in the dark places of our heart. And confession is a light that exposes the truth. And part of the struggle, if you're carrying a load of guilt, let me tell you this. Part of the struggle if you're carrying a load of guilt is that you so desperately want to forgive yourself. You do. You want to forgive yourself. And, and you will never adequately forgive yourself as long as your guilt is a secret. Let me repeat that. You will never adequately forgive yourself as long as your guilt is a secret. Until you openly confess to the person you wronged or stole from. Now, if all this is true, it's not just a bunch of psychobabble, okay? Which I believe it's true. If all this is true, we shouldn't be surprised to find so often in the Bible when it talks about confessing that most of the time it talks about confessing, guess what it talks about? It doesn't talk that much about confessing to God. It talks a lot about confessing to one another. But we live in a culture and a religious climate that says that if I offend somebody, I just go tell God. You know, I mean, one of the first verses that some of us memorize is 1 John 1, 9. Y'all remember, anybody know that verse off the top of your head? Probably my accountability partner probably knows it. But anyway, 1 John 1, 9 says that we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We love that verse. You know why? Taking that verse out of context and not looking at the rest of Scripture, it's called eisegesis. It's called taking, it's making things fit because we want to. And so often we use this verse because it means this. It's kind of like when I first learned this verse as a kid in Bible school, I'm thinking, I was thinking about it and I'm going like, hey man, this is really a good verse. I found a loophole. It's kind of a loophole to deal with stuff. And, 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 and it says this, God, it says, it says good to, too good to be true. I met, this is what I thought. I mess up. I admit it. God forgives me. I move on. Right? Because that's what it says. You know, if we confess our sins and we say them to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and he cleanses us from all our righteousness. So every night before I'd go to, before I'd go to bed, I would carry on this excruciatingly long as I was a kid. I remember this and did it into my teen years as well. Excruciatingly detailed monologue with God, mostly about my sin. Now, don't raise your hand, but any of you do that? 
You know, you just go through this whole list of sins during the day because you want to make sure everything's right with you and God. And so you go through this excruciating long list, and sometimes my list was short, but most times it was not. Either way, I was so careful to confess each and every sin that I could remember that day. And just so I could cover the bases, even the ones I couldn't remember, I would always throw in God and forgive me for all anything I've overlooked. Amen. Right? That's how we do it. And I went to sleep knowing my sin bucket was empty for that night. Because of what 1 John 1, 9 says. But that's not all scripture. The problem was... The back of my mind, though, I knew, and this, this is the reality, we all know this, in the back of our mind, when we that's the way we deal with our sin, and that's the only thing we do with confession, in the back of our mind, I knew that I would probably fill up my sin bucket the next day. And probably with many of the same sins I just confessed. Right? None of you do that, right? None of you continually find yourself confessing the same sins to God over and over and over and over in your life. None, Right? We only confess, we only do a sin one time, and that's it. Wrong. That's not the way we do it so often. Because we don't deal with confession in the right way. And I, and I began to notice a dangerous trend when I was doing it this way, because I noticed that when I was tempted to sin, I would reason to myself, I know this is wrong, but if I go through it, I will always just confess it to God. He'll forgive me and everything will be fine. And before long, my confession habit was supporting my sin habit. And that's going to happen in all of us if we, don't, if we allow it to. See, the problem was this. I wasn't confessing as a step toward changing. Confession was all about guilt relief. And that is not biblical confession at all. It's kind of like this. Let me just give you an illustration, and I think it speaks for itself. Imagine you had a brother who continually stole from you, embarrassed you publicly, and talked badly about you behind your back. But once a week... Once a week he came to you and he said, in very general terms, he was sorry, which you already knew in a different way. And, but no sooner did you turn around that he was right back at it again. No, to make matters worse, he had the nerve to ask you to help whenever he got in a bind. And how would you characterize that relationship? Even if you were able to generally forgive him, each time what would eventually happen to that relationship, there would be no relationship. At best, you would feel used. More, likely, more than likely, you would feel insulted. What kind of idiot do you, does he think I am, you would say to yourself, if that's the way he's going to treat me? Does he really think that I believe his apology is sincere when he turns around and does the same thing again and again and again? Do I need to make the application to that? Or is it obvious? See, we play this confession game because somewhere along the way, we were taught that the purpose of confession was conscious relief. Not only does it doesn't make sense, it doesn't work. Because the pseudo-confession that we do, we just simply say, I'm sorry to God, and we don't deal with the issue, and it doesn't change anything we do. What happens? It doesn't remove our guilt. And the purpose of confession, biblical confession, is to remove our guilt, not to cause us to continue to have it. It's not just to relieve our conscience in a real sense. What it does is to remove our guilt, and so it's like Tylenol. It takes the quick... Prayer confessions take the edge off our pain, but they don't heal the wound caused by our sin. And this is why you find yourself repeating and confessing the same sins over and over and over, and the guilt still is still there. Now, the purpose of confession is this. The English definition of confession in the dictionary says this. It's to admit or acknowledge something. But that's not the biblical definition of, of confession. In the scriptures, confession is always associated with change. 
Confession is just one step in a sequence of steps that lead the guilty out of the darkness and into light. It's simply the beginning of a process that ultimately leads to a change in lifestyle or behavior. And and you go all the way back in the Old Testament. I don't have time today to go through all the scriptures, but I just want to show you quickly this morning what the Bible says about biblical confession. All the way back in the book of Numbers. Now, how have you read Numbers recently? I'm sure. I mean, your favorite book in the Bible, Numbers. You know why you don't read Numbers? Because it's about a bunch of numbers. You know, you do. Okay, he's a math guy over here. You see, he likes numbers. Okay, but the reality is most of us don't like the book of Numbers because it's, it's boring numbers. It's not math. You know, it's just numbers, you know. And so the thing is, but it says in Numbers chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, and it's talking about, you know, God had given the big ten commandments. Remember that? The big ten. And when he gave us the big ten commandments, what did God think about us? They're always going to do them perfectly, right? Is that what God thought? Did God th- oh, ignore the screen. Look at me. Okay, did God think... That you were going to always do all the Ten Commandments perfectly. Is God naive? No. Okay, I just want to make sure you're awake this morning and you're focused, okay? No, God did not. So up front, right after in the book of Numbers, after he gave us the Ten Commandments, he gives us some things. He says, when you mess up, not if you'll mess up, when you mess up, this is what you do, okay? This is one of those instances. He says this, any man or woman who wrongs another in any way and so is unfaithful to the Lord is guilty and must confess the sin they have committed. Not just to the Lord. They must make full restitution for the wrong they have done. And they add a fifth of the value to it and give it to that person they have wronged. Which takes, which means doing what? You have to go to the person you've wronged. And admit you did it. That's the only way you can make restitution to a person. And so he says that's what we must do. You know, he says that all the way back in Numbers. And then we get the New Testament. I'm getting a New Testament. And you remember, how many of you know the story of Zacchaeus? How many of you sung the song? Y'all know the song? Okay. It's a, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Come on, some of you, help me out. You've been to Sunday school. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord. Okay, well, that's enough. Some of you are going like, some of you are going like, oh, what are you talking about? I mean, if you grew up in Sunday school you, or went to Bible school, you knew that song, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, the story of Zacchaeus in the Bible, it's a really cool story. It's about this guy who was, who basically was a traitor to his own people. And he became a tax collector. And he, he was a tax collector for his own people and he cheated his own people in a, in a legal way. And he did that, but he came to a place realizing he didn't have the right relationship with God. And so he comes to this place where he decides, I'm going to make it right. And so he climbs up in a tree, a sycamore tree, we learned from the song. And he climbs up in a sycamore tree and he comes, Jesus comes by and he has a conversation. He goes to his house. And what does Zacchaeus do? He just has a conversation with God and does nothing else, right? No! What does he do? He says, I have wronged these people. I am guilty. And so what am I going to do? He doesn't even do what it says in Numbers, which says gives back one-fifth, which is 20%. He says, I'm going to give back four times, four times what I've stolen. He said, I'm going to make restitution to all these people in what I'm doing. And you know what Jesus' response was? Jesus' response was, hey, Zacchaeus, man, you're the real deal. Salvation has come to your house this day because you're doing what God wants you to do. You have a heart for God and you're dealing with your guilt in a a biblical uh, way. That's what the story was about there. 
And so we learn that story. And no doubt, Jesus, Jesus had the same thing in mind when he shocked his listeners with this bit of instruction in Matthew 5. He said this, and, and then that day they had this habit of going to the temple and, and all, making offerings before God. He says this, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. He says this, First, before you come and try to worship me, first go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. See, Jesus says to, says to us, hey guys, confession starts. Yeah, you, you did, you've wronged me, but you've wronged another person too. And you've got to deal with it. You've got to deal with it. James, the half-brother of Jesus, had to say about the role of confession in the life of a believer. One of, the, one of my favorite verses in James 5, 16, he says, Therefore, confess, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be what? You may be healed. You may be healed. If you want the guilt in your life to be healed, if you want to get over this, this heart disease, this problem, you have to confess your sins to, to one another. Open confession has the power to break the cycle of sin. And actually, that's the purpose of confession, to break the cycle of sin. And if you start confessing your sin since the people that you've sinned against, odds are they're not going to go back and do it again, right? Because it raises a level of accountability in your life. But if you just simply just confess your sin silently to God, it gives us an out. It really does. Because nobody knows about it except God. And we're going like, okay, God, you've, can, you've forgiven me. And most often we become repeat offenders. In fact, that's exactly why we confess secretly. In many cases, we know we're going to repeat the offense. See, guilty people are usually repeat offenders unless they deal with their sin, and their guilt in a biblical way. Some of us will say, well, no, wait a minute, Pastor. Um, what about forgiveness? God has forgiven me for my sin, right? Yeah, he has. If you've asked him for forgiveness, if you're truly repentant of your, of your problem and your sin, so why do I need to dredge up a bunch of stuff from my past when it's all been paid for at the cross? Besides, I wasn't even a Christian when I did some of those things. Now, when we're finished with all of our theological gymnastics that we sometimes like to go through and jump through hoops and everything, your guilt still remains. Why? Because God wasn't the only offended party. Besides, the same, biblical, the same Bible that assures us of God's forgiveness also teaches us the principle of restitution. Forgiveness doesn't erase our need to take responsibility for what we've done. In fact, forgiveness should drive us to confession. It should drive us to confession. See, the grace that is showered on us by God at salvation did not provide us an escape hash from our responsibility to others. On the contrary, that very grace should compel us to make restitution to those we have wronged. See, Christ paid a debt we could not, we didn't owe, and, and one we couldn't pay. Christ paid a debt he didn't owe, and one that we couldn't pay. And that kind of love should motivate us to pay those debts we can pay to those that we owe. See, the penalty for our sin, in as far as heaven and hell are concerned, has been dealt with one and for all through Christ. But the consequences of our sin are a different matter altogether. Because we still live in a broken world. And God wants us to be people who reconcile and draw people to him and changed people. And I believe we're avoiding the clear teaching of scripture if we use our forgiveness as an excuse to avoid the pain and embarrassment of reconciling with others. 
It's true that we can never repay God for all he's done for you, but you may certainly be able to repay some people in your life that you've done something to. And I know the pushback. But pastor, you know, if I go to that person and tell them what I've done, it will hurt them. Let me tell you something. You've already hurt them. You've already hurt them. See, confession doesn't hurt people. Sin does. Confession doesn't hurt people. Sin does. Confession doesn't hurt people. Concealment hurts people. And they probably probably have a clue about something that's going on anyway. See, the reason we don't confess... Let me just, just say this to you clearly. The reason we don't confess so often is because we're afraid of the consequences. But I want to share with you something. The reason you fear the consequences of confession is because you don't understand the bigger consequences of concealment. See, because as long as we're carrying this around with us, oh, man, this is heavy. As long as we're carrying this around with us, guess what's happening to our heart? It's rotting. And I can tell you this from experience. Not personally, but being there as a pastor at so many bedsides. If you never deal with this stuff in your life, there'll come a time when you'll want to deal with this. And I've been at bedsides of people who were dying. Many, 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 many times over the years. More than I'd like to be there. And I've seen this, that when they're dying and they've carried this burden of guilt around all their life. And it's affected every relationship that they've had. And they, and they say, they've said to me or they've said to somebody else, they're saying like, and they're, say, and they're saying this in all kinds of ways. And they're going like, you know, why did I live with this all of my life? When I could have just picked a moment in time and go through the fire of the pain of confession because it is painful and have dealt with this and cleaned out my heart and gotten rid of this. Why can't I have done that a long time ago? Because this, let me, let me explain this as we close. The consequences of confession, the consequences of confession are tangible And they're immediate, and they will impact a handful of people. But the consequences of concealment, the consequences of concealment are not as tangible, and they don't just impact the small circle of people. They probably will ultimately impact most of the relationships you have in your life in all kinds of ways, and they're not necessarily good ways. And they can drag out through a lifetime. So let me ask you, if you were God, just imagine for a moment you're God, and you love you, and God does, by the way, what would you say to you? Would you say, oh, just just keep it a secret, pretend, act like everything's fine. No, if you were God and you loved you, like he loves you, and he would say, I know it is painful, and I know that you're afraid, But look, you are already dealing with one round of the consequences of your sin by dragging this around with you. Don't allow the consequences to chase you around your whole life. Confess, deal with it, put it behind you, face the consequences, and get on with your life. So let me suggest three steps. One's a baby step. 
And two are what you have to deal with. Number one, if you've got something in your life you need to deal with, some guilt, something you feel like you need to deal with, number one, let me tell you a baby step you can take. Go to somebody that you trust and somebody that you, you, could really, that you really trust really well and confess that sin to them. Confess it to them. That's a baby step. But ultimately, step two is this. You ultimately, if you're going to get it right and make it right and get it out of, your, uh, out of your heart and get on with your life, you ultimately have to confess to the person you wronged. There's no way around it. And then finally, after you've done that, make restitution the best you can. Make restitution the best you can. And that may not be possible. What will happen if you do this? I'll tell you what will happen if you do this. I'm not going to sugarcoat it either, okay? For a while, your outside world will become momentarily far more complicated. But your inside world will become freer. And once you work through the complications, not caused by confession, but by caused by sin, you will be a better man or a better woman, and you will be set up to do something you've not been able to do when guilt drives your life. And that is to love unconditionally, and you will be set up to accept people with all their faults and failures because other people's failures will not constantly remind you of yours. And at the end of the day, you will be able to forgive yourself. So, how are things in your heart? How are things in your heart? You got any secrets? You've been carrying around a load? God gives you the answers in his word. Confession. Not just telling God, even though we need to tell God as well, but, but, but dealing with it with the person that we have a problem with is the only way you can deal with the guilt that holds you back from being God that God wants you to be, that gnaws at your heart and drives everything else you do, even when you don't even see it. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.